Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And on this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Iris Pullen to talk about how to reprogram your brain. Now, Iris is an award-winning author, speaker, and a career and personal branding strategist. She is an advocate of brain hacking to enable human flourishing and believes that our work life plays a big role in our sense of fulfillment. Her mission is to help professionals and entrepreneurs get unstuck, take ownership of their success, and to live to their fullest potential. Iris leverages her training as an applied positive psychology practitioner, as well as over two decades of experience in corporate and nonprofit environments to empower professionals and entrepreneurs to navigate career transitions effectively. She has been featured on ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, and is the co-author of the best-selling books, Mastering the Art of Success and How to Be Crazy Amazing During Difficult Times. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with neurohacker Iris Pollitt as we talk about how to reprogram your brain. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be joined by Iris Pollitt today. Iris, thank you so much for joining us on the Leadership Habit Podcast. Thank you, you so are- much for having me. Oh, oh my gosh. Sorry. No, no, you are fine. I love the enthusiasm. It's my over-enthusiasm because we're talking about a topic that I don't know if it's just that, you know, understanding our own, how our brain works is becoming, I feel like something that's so much more talked about in the last 20 years or so, but I am here for it. Let's talk about and have a great conversation on how to reprogram your brain. That's what you are in store for Leadership Habits. So I'm going to put it back over to you, Iris. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I always love a great origin story. So if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself or how you came to be, how the heck did you even become interested in understanding how our brain works? I mean, that's one question in and of itself, but I'm going to turn it over to you now, Iris. Thanks so much, Jen. And thanks for inviting me to to the podcast. I'm super excited to talk about one of my my favorite topics, which is neurohacking. Um, I am flabbergasted that we're able to operate in our modern world with the caveman brain that that we've been provided. So a little bit of an origin story. Um, Had no interest in anything psychological. I mean, I was a poli-sci major, for for goodness sake. Uh, Was going to be the first Secretary of State, but Madeleine Albright got that job before me. She did great. Um, (laughs) So I I went down a different route. I went down the route of marketing um, and looking at marketing through the lens of, you know, what resonates with, with your target audience. There's a lot of psychology involved. So I got certified in applied positive psychology and really got into neurohacking and neuroscience to have been, uh, it is, as you said, relatively new because previously we didn't have the technology to really see how our brain operates, right? Like in the past, people would like cut up cadavers and at that point the brain is dead. So you can't really see what's going on, but modern technology and especially imaging has allowed us to see which part of our brains light up when certain things happen. And it really makes it a lot easier to understand the brain a lot better. So I'm super excited to to be talking about neurohacking. Um, I'm also the founder of Your Success Ace, which is a boutique uh, coaching agency that focuses on career transition and career growth and personal branding and thriving in a workplace. So this is a a big, big part of that. And I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you about it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, we need that, right? Understanding our brain because either it's working towards our success or it's taking us further away or maybe motivating us to take choices that might be or make choices that are 
pushing us away from our dream. So let's dive in. How to reprogram your brain, or I love the phrase that you use, neurohacking. What do you think are the challenges or the issues that people have, or even the myths that people have around retraining your brain? Sure. So I think that that old myth of, oh, we only use 10% of our brain. And we've all seen like the movies of like the people that take a pill and can access 100% of the brain and it becomes amazing and ends in disaster. Um, that That is not actually true. We use a lot more than 10% of our brain. We also use different uh, hemispheres of our brain at, at the same time. Um, and it really, it allows us to to function and move through the world. I mean, our brain, the best way to look at it is like a mega computer. And that's why I use terms like reprogramming, right? And and hacking. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about hacking and rewiring and upgrading our brain uh, today. It's because if you were to take a computer that actually does the same thing that our brain does, you would be flabbergasted because it would have to have about... Uh, 3,500 terabytes of memory, which is huge. You know how excited we get over one terabyte of like external storage? Like imagine 3,500, right? <laughs> and also it would have to perform 38,000 trillion operations per second. So that's that's the power of our brain, but that is also the downfall of our brain because there's so many things that come at us. And in today's day and age, we live in a very noisy world uh, and our brain works a lot harder as a filter. And that's another part where we're going to talk about resilience, why resilience is, is so important because our brain is tired. There's way too much stuff coming at it right now, you know, so... I think uh, the 10% myth is probably one of the biggest ones. Um, the challenges perspective um, is, so there's two, there's a lot of biases that come along with this fabulous brain of ours, right? As I mentioned, like we are walking through a modern world with uh, a cave person's brain. Our brain was designed to protect us. Our brain is always like, oh my God, where's danger coming from? Who's going to attack me? How do I keep my little human safe, right? So there's a lot of biases that are programmed and hardwired into our brain that, that we need to overcome, uh, such as, you know, negativity bias, confirmation bias. Um, and uh, we're going to get into all of that today. I am excited. I mean, negativity bias is one that I think people don't realize that all of us have and that it impacts, you know, how we feel. And it also that so many of our thoughts or how our brain is communicating are actually repetitive. I mean, I just think that that's bananas when we get into that. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and, and I, you know, it's true. I think most people don't realize that if you don't like something that's happening in your life, so much of it starts with your brain and how or the information that you're using to program it. So is it even true from your perspective that you can reprogram your brain? Because I know that's one that people sometimes think, or maybe it's easier to get into that belief that things are happening to you that you don't have the control. Like, is it even true that you can reprogram your brain? It is 100% true. Uh, there's an amazing concept called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity um, is basically the way our brain continues to operate through disease, through brain trauma. And so in our brain, we have all of these little neurons, right? There are neural cells and they uh, connect to each other and communicate with each other through synapses. We're gonna keep this super, super simple, right? Um, 
neuroplasticity basically allows us to rewire the, the neurons and the way they, they communicate in case there's, you know, brain trauma or injury or disease. But it's also what allows us to, quote unquote, change our mind and realize once we have the awareness that we could get rid of negativity loops you, that, for example, that you mentioned, those negative thoughts, you know, and, and tweak it to make sure that those pathways go along in, in the ways that really make us more effective, more successful, more positive in, in the way we move through the world. Yeah. I mean, I love thinking about the brain as someone that has, no, I mean, as someone that has multiple sclerosis, right? I have a neurologist that helps me look at my brain and understand it. I have a dad that, you know, he had suffered a stroke about 10 years ago. And so we're talking about, you know, the impact and behavior and mobility as a result of that. And then I also have a parent that, or my mom, is has the diagnosis of a schizophrenic, which also impacts our brain. So I love all things brain because our brain is something that I think people can't even begin to understand what goes on up here and what that actually looks like. You know, I think it's so much more sophisticated than what we ever actually give it credit for. Um, Like, so let's dive into it. What, like, how do you, so I love that talking about neuroplasticity. Um, And then I think you had also mentioned something, and this was on our pre-call about the growth mindset. Tell me more. (laughs) Absolutely. So neuroplasticity is obviously one, right? So that's if if we're thinking of, of our current, like neural mapping, they're all like six lane highways and we are going to decide that we're going to hack at the bushes over here and create a new exit off this highway and build a new highway, right? So that's how we're creating new neural pathways. Growth mindset is something that um, came to the forefront by uh, Dr. Carol DeWick, who I'm a huge fan of. And it talks about the way we approach learning, it, 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 the way we approach criticism, the way we approach other people's success. So there's growth mindset and there's fixed mindset. And in different areas in our life, we could rotate between the two of them. I mean, yes, there are some people that have a fixed mindset across everything. We all know one of them. And there's also people <laughs> that have a growth mindset when it comes to everything. But the, the main differences is how do we approach our capabilities? And I, and I think it really outlines well with neuroplasticity as well, because if we have a growth mindset, we're able to say, I don't know this yet. And we're aware of our ability to learn something new instead of coming into the world with like this fixed set of talents. You know, I was born with this talent and this is all I know. So don't ask me to learn anything new. Right. And in the same vein, it also has to do with criticism. People with growth mindsets are more open to criticism because they view it as an opportunity to learn. Whereas people with fixed mindsets are like, why is this person criticizing me? What do they know? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and my favorite is when you look at it through the point of view of success, right? When we see other successful people, are we like, oh my God, yay them. And what can I learn from them to be successful? Are we like, eh, whatevs? you know, and when we're not able to celebrate somebody else's success. So yeah, growing mindset is is absolutely fantastic. And the more we're aware of it, the more we realize, like, how do we show up and just being honest with ourselves, like, oh, did this thing trigger me? Why did this trigger me? Is this like, am I having a fixed mindset in this particular uh, occasion? Well, maybe let's talk about some examples of what a fixed mindset look, might look like to for someone that might not be aware, am I someone that has the fixed mindset? In your experience with working with coaches, what are some examples of what a fixed mindset sounds like? 
It sounds like, um, that's a really good question. It sounds like, why is my, you know, boss, or if you're running a business, your, you know, your business partner, why are they asking me to do this thing that is out of my comfort zone? Like, don't they know that I don't know this stuff? Instead of sitting back and saying, oh, this is a really interesting opportunity for me to grow in this other area and learn something new, right? And as I mentioned, the example with, with success, I think that's the one that is most prevalent. Like, if you are in an environment where somebody is celebrating a, a success in something, are you sort of like sitting back and being like, ah, whatever, you know, or are you like super excited for them and super excited at the opportunity to be like, oh, can I like reverse engineer what they just did to like be successful as well, right? I mean, I feel like I'm that person, but then before I get there, I'm typically like, gosh, Jen, like, why can't you do anything right? Why can't you figure this stuff out? Like I go down the self-judgment, self-doubt rabbit hole, or I can look at someone else's success and say like, well, you're never going to get there because they have it and you don't have it. And so that's how I feel like I experience the fixed mindset. It starts with comparison that yeah. I somehow tell myself I'm not enough. And on the days that I don't have my confidence, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think that's a challenge, right? It's how are we, first of all, who are we comparing ourselves to? Are we comparing ourselves to others? Or are we comparing ourselves to ourselves? Like how am I today compared to the way I was yesterday or a month ago or a year ago, right? Because honestly, the only way to truly gauge your momentum is comparing yourself to yourself, right? Uh, so that's that's super important. The other recommendations I would give you is use that little word yet. It is absolutely magic. When you're like, oh, how come I'm not blah, blah, blah. Just add the word yet to it. And it will totally reprogram the way you're looking at the situation. Um, the other thing to, to keep in mind is that with growth mindset, you you want to just stay open, right? So it's not that the judgment that that you brought up is is such a dangerous, dangerous path to take. And there's actually a great little positive psychology chart called the judger's path and the learner's path, and which I love. It has this cute little drawing attached to it. Uh, and it basically shows a person that walks through life, right? And it's like, what questions are we asking ourselves? Are we asking judgy questions? Like, oh, like, how come they did that? Or how come they're so dumb? Or, and that slowly, <laughs> the more of those questions you ask, the more you end up in what is called the judger's pit. And it's full of tar and you get stuck in it and it's really difficult to get out. But I if you that. allow yourself, again, that, that little exit off that highway to basically say, okay, what question can I ask myself that will be productive, right? Like, what can I learn from the situation? Then you're taking the learner's path. And through curiosity, you're able to create an upward spiral instead of a downward spiral that takes you into that judger's pit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, and I share that because <laughs> oh, I just experience it as much as like, even on the outside, people might be like, you've got it all figured out. I'm like, really? I do? Who says? <laughs> Carolyn, you're the duck. You're like all smooth above the water and under the water, you're paddling your little feet like a mad person. <laughs> and I think there's so many people that we don't realize like are faking it, right? Like yeah. that we just aren't maybe as comfortable or it's not appropriate to share it. And we suffer in silence. Crestown is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. 
Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. You know, if you find that maybe any of these examples related with you and that you are wanting to change to our leadership habit audience, this is where Iris is coming in with the strategies. So let's do it. How do we reprogram the brain? So three strategies and all of them have like little sub strategies within them. The first one is to hack, right? Because we can't change something that we're not aware of. So how are we cultivating our focus? How are we really paying attention to what we're paying attention to, right? Which I think is really, really important. Our brain is such an amazing filter because if it actually had to process all the different different stimuli that are coming at us every day, it would explode, like literally, like psh, combustion. Um, so what are we focusing on? And I think that's where it's really important that as, you know, as we set our goals, as we plan our days, that we are very careful with what we're focusing on and, and making sure that what we're focusing on is truly what is going to get us to that, that next level in life. Um, the other so piece... Oh, sorry. Are we thinking about it from the difference between understanding what's in our conscious conscious mind versus our unconscious mind, or are we thinking about it from the perspectives of or perspective of like what keeps you up at night or what's draining your confidence? What's maybe the context? If I was trying to build that awareness, like how would I start that? So all of the above, just not at the same time, right? So <laughs> there are things that are part of our of our consciousness, and if and with that, I always say, look at where the pain is. If you have a pain that is repeating time after time after time, something that is triggering you time after time after time, examine it and ask yourself, like, what, why is this painful to me? Why is this triggering me? And try to unpack it because it's that pain that is going to allow us to dig a little deeper into our subconscious. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of hardwiring and, and programming that is under the surface that we're not even aware of. I tell my clients all the time that you know, whether it be childhood trauma or something that happened when we are younger, because when we're younger, our brain is like a sponge, like our prefrontal frontal cortex is not fully developed yet. So our ability to question isn't there yet. So we absorb everything as truth, right? So if we grew up in a family, for example, um, where, you know, the parents were like, oh, money is the root of all evil. You could be a very successful person that is able to build abundance, but not hold on to it, right? So I always tell my clients, don't let your six-year-old self drive the Ferrari because you're like a well-oiled machine. You are kicking butt in life. But the more you become aware of what's going on under the surface, the more you're able to, to unpack it. And, and it takes time, you know. I, I love don't let the six-year-old drive the Ferrari because yeah. I, mean, I can still think of messages that, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to, I have a big milestone birthday this year, 40, and I can still think of messages that were, yeah, I'm grateful for every day above ground. Um, and just really thinking about even some of the messages that I know aren't true. Like I know once I was told that I could never be a lawyer, even that's all I wanted to do. And then before I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a newscaster. And someone said, no one would ever take you seriously. And I mean, heck, I even still get feedback too. Like, Jen, you're not dynamic. You're not blank. And it's easy to take that feedback on and be like, is that, is that the truth? Just from this one person's feedback to me, do I have to all of a sudden take that on, own it and believe it to be true and drive that Ferrari? Like I know well, that's, that's where that awareness of our programming is so important. Right. And that's where, you know, you mentioned like negative thoughts, right? It's those, we need to like hack and debug those negativity loops. So when we sit down and we're like, again, looking at the pain, looking at the trigger, what is that message that keeps on playing in the background? And then we need to ask ourselves, is this really true? Like, where did this come from? Right? Because as I mentioned before, prefrontal cortex doesn't get developed to like when in our teens to our early 20s. That's why we're such jerks at that age, because we start questioning everything, you know, question, be curious, be like, where is this coming from? So you're able to, to unpack it and then debug, you know, just like you would do with any other good piece of software. Oh my gosh. So I know that I cut you off in my question of like where to start. And so the first piece being, you know, understanding what was the second piece of that, um, that I think the debug piece to be, is that the second one that I cut you off on? Okay. So the first one is cultivating focus. And the second piece is awareness of our actual programming. So you're able to, to unpack it. Right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. I was going to say that's where we get into like the second strategy of rewiring, which is like the active fun part. But uh, if you have another question, I'm happy to answer it. Well, I love anytime we get into the topic of self-awareness, I'm always intrigued by that because I think that there are many different ways to build it. There are also many different people that think they're self-aware and aren't. And so I love asking the question when we start talking about self-awareness from your work with your clients, what are some ways that you help them develop that self-awareness? Assessments, assessments, assessments. I am obsessed with assessments, whether it be a fun one like Gretchen Rubin's like four tendencies to um, more, you know, research based ones like the via character strengths. There are so many assessments out there that I'd be happy to share with your audience that help you become more aware of your values, of your strengths and, and unpack so much of that. And then you could leverage all of that too in your personal branding too, and in the way you market yourself uh, in in the world. So, that I believe assessments are such a powerful tool because, yeah, some of them are more fun, some of them are more serious, but you'll see such consistency the more of them you take. And and I think where there is consistency, there is truth, right? And that's what what we need to unpack. It's being honest with ourselves um, regarding what's holding us back. And also being honest with ourselves regarding what we want and what we need. It's not that we are inherently dishonest. It's that sometimes I think we make commitments in life that we're afraid that if we're honest about what we actually want and need uh, in order to be successful, that it goes against like those commitments that we already made. I I preach. Hi, I'm a... my name is Jen DeWall. I am a people pleaser. That means that I'm um, constantly reevaluating myself and the to-do list and saying, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I'll feel bad. Or I want to make sure you're better. I mean, I'm sure people can relate to that. Or, I mean, you know, 
the perfectionist trap, right? Like, oh, I just have to make sure I do everything perfect by anyone's standards, even though I have no idea about these arbitrary standards that I've set. But somehow, I mean, this is, I know you might think I'm bananas and I try to say this stuff. I'm sending you all of the assessments after this recording. (laughs) You can take all of them. We're going to unpack this. (laughs) All right, let's, let. I mean, hey, and you are normal because again, we should actually talk for a minute quick if we um, aren't going to get into it with the rewiring, but negativity bias was something that I think I was made aware of in the last like few years. It was something that I was totally not even aware of that happened. And so let's talk about what that bias is. Yes. Um, um, so negativity bias, and it's funny that you should mention it because it is part of strategy two, which is rewiring. Ah, okay, so perfect. Before, so then we're going into the rewiring strategy. Okay. We are, we are. <laughs> but before that, let's talk a little bit about negativity bias, right? So again, caveman, modern world, right? So we were meant to w- walk through this earth with our brain protecting us from dangers, right? Dangers that no longer exist in today's day and age. So when that negativity bias pops up, like, oh my God, I'm catastrophizing because there's a saber toothed tiger coming to get me. You need to sit back and be like, thank you brain for trying to protect me, but there's no saber toothed tiger coming to get me. And I think that's where rewiring comes in because you can't turn off those negative thoughts but you could shift them. So we're not talking about mind control here. We're talking about mind training, right? So when that negative thought pops up or that icky emotion pops up, you can't like just be like, knock it off, you know, butch up, stop doing this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because it just doesn't work. So we need to pay attention to how it shows up in our body. So for example, like, let's say we have a big presentation or we were talking earlier about like public speaking, Right. And we are so nervous, right? And we're like sweating and we're like, we can't do this. The closest emotion to nerves is excitement. Excitement and nervousness shows up exactly the same way in our body. So if if we tell our brain, oh, I'm super excited about this opportunity. Your brain does a little scan and it's like, "Uh, yes, this, this this is showing up as true. It, your body feels like it's excited right now. So, okay, let's go with that, right? And that's where the rewiring comes in. It's kind of like messing with your head, uh, but you use that power for good instead of evil. I mean, are, are there Does people that, that are in the thought of like, but I'm lying to myself. I am not feeling excited. I actually am terrified of what I'm about to do or nervous, extremely nervous. I mean, what would you say to someone that's like, but that's lying to myself? But... <laughs> Is But are you using it for the greater good, right? Because yeah. again, if it's something that, that shows up in your body and it helps you like get to, to that next, next level, then it's not truly lying to yourself. It's just helping yourself be your best self in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. And it's you, you're looking at it as in like, what is the best possible future? That's like another exercise. So th- there's like two ways of going at it, right? When you're like super catastrophizing, the first thing you need to do is let yourself go down that rabbit hole, right? And you're like, okay, worst case scenario, like, okay, I don't do a good job in this presentation and my boss is going to hate me and I'm going to get laid off and I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to end up living under a bridge, right? You take it to like the most ridiculous down the rabbit hole that you can to the point where you start laughing and that triggers a different part of your brain that is like okay now you're being completely silly so what is 
an actual outcome that could come here. And then let's try to shift it above neutral and be like, what is the best positive outcome that could come as well? Right. So it's still messing with your brain and you could choose to call it lying to yourself. (laughs) I choose to call it neurohacking, potato, potato, you know. (laughs) No. And I have to say it because in my work with clients too, it's the same thing. Like, what do you mean? Like, I don't think that, (laughs) right. There's that initial trepidation of, I don't understand it. Like, I think it's easier for us to probably see that, but that's typically some of the resistance that you get with people earlier on is like, that feels like I'm not being honest, but it is the way of working with your brain or even going back to the negativity bias. Yes. You're naturally going to look at all of the worst case scenarios that could potentially happen around situation X, that is negativity bias doing its exact job. <laughs> like, and But it is also, I love that you say, like, let it run its course into however many ways you need to do it yes. until you can make the shift because you always get to choose that. Yes, absolutely. And I think, look, I you're not the first person to ever say that, oh my God, you're so woo-woo and this stuff never works. Trust me, everything that I'm sharing with you here is uh, based in science, backed by research. Yeah. Um, I'm not like there's nothing woo woo here. It might sound woo woo, but if you want the, the backup research, I'm happy to send you the links to it. So no, I'm I'm in total agreement with that, and I think it's because of our you know educations and our background of understanding yeah. you know the impact of this, and it's still relatively new, and so that's why I think most people really do think this is woo-woo magic that is just not going to work. And, you know, I always find like, let's address the elephant in the room, like, you know, because there are people that are of that, but it also could be going back to the other example you shared, your fixed mindset coming through. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and you're absolutely right. I think, look, uh, especially if you look at the field of positive psychology, it is relatively new. It started in the nineties with uh, Dr. Marty Seligman, who became, you know, the head of the American Psychiatric Association. And he was like, we're focusing too much on disease and we're focusing too much about all the stuff that is below neutral. Why don't we examine, you know, all the ways that people can thrive and go above neutral? And he did many studies, especially with the military on PTSD. Um, But the reality is there's PTSD, but there's also post-traumatic growth. And there's many cases of people that came back from trauma stronger and better and, and thriving. But nobody talks about that because we all have that negativity bias that is like, yes, PTSD. That's the label we're going to use for everything. Right. Um, And I'm not saying that there aren't severe cases of PTSD out there. Obviously, of course, there are. But how do we approach treating them? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for even just talking about positive psychology. That's all this is. It's not magic. It's not woo woo. It's positive psychology. Yeah. And it's and the biggest I think difference between psychology and positive psychology is again, psychology in general is based on textbook, like dealing with disease, dealing with dysfunction, and it's very prescriptive. Whereas positive psychology is more descriptive and taking a look at different methodologies that work and trying them out. At the end of the day, we're the only ones that know what will work on us. You know, you could try different vitamins, you could try different medications, they will impact everyone in a different way. So why not? try, you know, neurohacking yourself and doing mind exercises on yourself to see what works, right? I mean, I'm here for it. I find that that's the best, like, lease on life is to know that and the times that I feel powerless and the times that I feel discouraged that the one thing I can come back to is how I control my thoughts. Like, how long do I want to pitch a tent there? And of course, we're not talking about trauma when it comes to this, because there are different mechanisms. But 
you know, I just think there's power in understanding that that's the one power that people can't take from us. I, I, or that's my thing of like why I love it so much is like, it's free. Well, maybe not free. Sometimes we have to invest in that, but it, it's free, right? It's something that's within our control. I don't have to go and buy this product and think I need that. Like it's all up here and I can do it. I mean, you might have to do the work for it, but you can do it. I just think it's yeah. so powerful. So where do we I continue? Think, yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I love what you just said about, you know, we have control over it because again, if we're looking at our brain as this mega computer, why would we allow somebody else to program it, right? We need to take that power back. And that's where, you know, the upgrades come in. And that's strategy number three. And that's, you know, the everyday practices that we take. And it could be different things for different people. For some people, it's, you know, writing and journaling. So you have like, you're keeping track of how your thoughts are and what triggers you to be able to be more aware of it. There's um, repetition, you know, if you're like, some people use mantras, some people use, um, you know, different things that, that they're able to, to repeat that help them reprogram their brain. Um, there's stimulation. So I'm a huge fan, a huge fan of positive visualization. And whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's woo-woo or not, research shows that our brain cannot tell the difference between an actual memory and something that we visualize. And this is something that has been uh, researched a lot, especially through uh, sports psychology. Uh, one of my favorite pieces of research, it was a basketball team and they separated them into three groups. One group had to like practice shooting hoops every day, every day, every day. The second group was um, supposed to just sit in their room and visualize making the perfect shot every time doing those visualization exercises. And then the last group was basically told to do nothing. So obviously the group that did nothing did not improve, right? And the group that that practice did improve, but the group that visualized it improved the most because there was no sense of failure. So the ones that were practicing, yes, yeah, sometimes they would make the shot and get it in, sometimes they wouldn't. And that failure would kind of mess with the, with their belief of being able to do it. Whereas the folks that did the exercise of just visualizing it perfect every time didn't have that failure impact their performance, which, which I think is absolutely uh, amazing. So again, remember our brain doesn't know the difference between um, an actual memory and something that we visualize. And it's those neural pathways that, that we're developing that, that allows us to, to grow. Yeah, my gosh. So how can you visualize your success today? Visualize the outcome that you seek. See, this is the stuff that's so exciting. It's all within our control. And it's not, by the way, it's not just outcomes. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Because there's plenty of, of gurus out there that are like, oh, well, you know, visualize yourself in the big house with the fancy car. That could be dangerous because your brain is also like, oh, okay, so I already have the house and the car. I don't need to do any work. You need to visualize the process, like the effort that you're putting into being successful, right? Uh, so it, it's that visualization needs to have a very clear cadence of not just the end goal, but also the process that that got you there. And, and I think it's really important. And that's where sort of like collaboration comes in. It's like, what are we sharing with our loved ones or our partners or our coworkers regarding, I'm working on building this, Right. Because you never know what ideas will come to you from other people or what resources will come to you from other people. So the more we collaborate and, and share that visualization, 
the, the more we, we could bring it to fruition. And then the last piece is actually act. You can't just sit and visualize and expect, you know, something to land in your life. You actually <laughs> have to take the action that, that you're visualizing it in the process to, to get it done. Right. And I know that you had, um, we had talked in the pre-call, even about talking about a little bit of how we can improve our own resilience. Um, And, you know, of course, like life is going to throw some curveballs at us. Life is going to challenge maybe that vision that we had or just that belief. And so um, knowing in our, we have a few minutes left, what are some strategies that you could share with our audience for how to improve their own resilience? Sure. So um, I look at it through the lens of thriving and resiliency at work. Um, So that's like the approach that that I'm going to take here. Like, how do we show up in our professional life? Um, Number one, and this is something that all of like the top 10 resiliency lists always miss is authenticity. Like how authentic are you are? Uh, Are you living your values? Are you developing your strengths? Um, Because it is the times where we're not authentic that it just, it strips away at us and it makes us feel less resilient. So authenticity is a huge part of building that resiliency muscle. Number two, um, this is going to sound a little hokey, but finding your calling, if you feel like the work that you're doing is meaningful and it doesn't have to be meaningful to anybody else, you know, I mean, I don't know who told you you shouldn't be a lawyer, but they're crazy because most parents would love to have a child that's a lawyer. (laughs) But, you know, even if like your parents want you to be a lawyer and you decided to become a DJ, you know, it doesn't matter if the work is meaningful to you. That's like the most important part, because that allows you to be in the flow and and be productive and feel resilient, even when because, I mean, look, we could do meaningful work, but it's still going to be work. Right. So if we're in the flow and we're doing something that's meaningful, it makes us more resilient. Um, Number three. Maintaining perspective, right? So we talked a little bit about negativity bias, uh, but it's also how do we learn from setbacks, right? Do we view failure as a learning opportunity or do we view it as the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So that perspective is really, really important because we need to continually focus on solutions. Our brain, again, it's like an eager German shepherd. It wants to do whatever we tell it to do. But if we're like, oh my God, this is awful. This is hopeless. The brain is like, all right, see, I'm going on vacation, you know, <laughs> but if you ask yourself curious questions, you know, and, and change that perspective again, from the judge's path to the learner's path, like, how can we deal with the situations? What solutions are available to us? What resources are out there that we could sort of like dig into? Like managing that negative thinking is so important and be able to, to really maintaining our perspective on stuff. Um, Managing stress is so super, super important. And and it's not just, you know, saying to yourself, oh, stop being so stressed out, right? It's that you make time for life-work balance. And yes, I call it life-work balance because your life comes before your work. Work is integrated into your life, not the other way around. I don't know who came up with work life. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying it should be life-work balance. So how are you making time to like renew and refresh in order to maintain your resiliency muscles, right? Because when we have a good night's sleep, you know, it's a lot easier to deal with the muck when you wake up in the morning and you're all like bright eyed and bushy tail, right? Instead right. of, oh my God, I did not get enough sleep. And it's it's even harder to deal with what I'm dealing with right now. Um, 
There are so many different ways. I'll give you three more for resiliency. So we talked about this. Um, working with colleagues, collaboration, feedback, advice. Again, it helps you stay more solution focused. So the more you can work with your colleagues at work and be like, my God, this situation really stinks. Like, what can we do about it, right? Or or celebrate. And this, this was amazing. You know, I think we so often forget to celebrate our successes. And if you just move on to next, 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 the next thing, that erodes away at your resiliency as well, right? So definitely be mindful of the way you're working with colleagues. Staying healthy. I know this is like uh, on every list, right? Mm-hmm. I, mentioned, I mentioned authenticity wasn't on any of the lists, but staying healthy you know, self-care is healthcare at the end of the day. Like, what are you putting into your body? Are you actually taking time to move? Are you taking time to go outside and have some fresh air? You know, your body needs that to be resilient. Spending time in nature. There is so much research that shows that being in nature and even just looking at the color green is down-regulating for your brain and it makes your brain happy. So I think that's super important. And then last but not least, again, going back to that community piece is like building networks not just within work, but outside of work, like where, where's your support system? You know, no person is an island, no person can do everything, right? And and I find that, especially when it comes to the point in our life when we're successful in our career or in our businesses, we're kind of sandwiched between different things like aging parents, younger children, um, and we're taking care of everybody else except ourselves. And when your cup runs empty, your resilience isn't isn't going to be there. And just being mindful of that. Yeah. I I love that as a closing message. Your self-care is your health care. I feel like that's a really I, I don't know, that stuck with me. And I've never heard someone say it in that way before. So I love that. It's that not, it's on my own. I'm borrowing something. <laughs> I just I know I read it somewhere. <laughs> but it's a great reminder. And I think we all need that to put yourself at the top of your to-do list. Iris, how can our audience get in touch with you? Um, either through LinkedIn, um, uh, just look up Iris Polit. I'm the only Iris Polit on LinkedIn. So that's I-R-I-S-P-O-L-I-T or email me at iris at your I'm happy to share these resources as well as assessments and, and other PDFs on, on staying resilient. So reach out iris at your Iris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I felt like we covered a lot for our short time, but thank you so much for leaving our audience hopefully feeling inspired and empowered to go out and hack your brain, reprogram it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Iris. I love the insights. I love talking about all things brain. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast or if you know someone that could benefit, share it with them or leave us a review. And if we can assist you in any of your leadership development needs, head on over to crestcom.com. There you can request a complimentary two-hour leadership skills workshop and also register for our monthly complimentary or free webinars that cover a wide variety of different leadership topics. And in closing, if you want to connect with Iris, you can connect with her on LinkedIn. You can also email her at iris at yoursuccessace.com or you can head on over to yoursuccessace.com and there you can find more information about her services. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.